That's why we teach people about financial statements. It's really, really important to understand the financial statements. What is your property actually making? And all of the returns, because you got to calculate all of that stuff in when you're trying to figure out what is the best way to move forward. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high-octane boost of full-on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Get Real Podcast. Ron Phillips here with Heather Marchant. We are both traveling, so no sexy mic for me today. You get to hear how I actually sound. Oh, that's scary. Oh, Heather. Heather's got a sexy mic still. She's good. I thought ahead because I knew we'd probably record while I was on the road, so. I thought I had one that would work, but it just didn't work. So sure, sure let me down this time. But I am at a mastermind gathering all kinds of awesome information and we will deliver it to you just as soon as I can get back and regurgitate it, you know, figure out what it is and then put it in some kind of a podcast. Where are you? Are you in Florida? I'm in Tampa. For all those viewing this on uh, YouTube, there it is. I am, I'm at the Grand Hyatt. It sits right on the bay. It's beautiful here. And uh, I have not been out there today at all. <laughs> I've literally been sitting in a mastermind all day long, which is fine. That's, that's really good. But anyway, I rough it. A what little are we going to talk about today, Heather? I mean, I, I rough it a little more because I'm a uh, I'm in Moab, Utah. For those who know Moab, it's uh, Canyonlands and Arches National Park. So I was in Canyonlands on Saturday and Sunday, and Arches uh, also on Sunday night. So can't get enough. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I, I love Moab. I'm sure there are some people listening who also love Moab. It's a great place. It's a great place. You asked me a question and I answered you with uh, where I am. So we are going to be doing a little bit of a lightning round with questions that we've gotten. I love it. So, it's hard when we get questions that only take us a few minutes to answer because we like to actually expound upon things for 20, 30 minutes or so. So this is perfect opportunity to cover several things in one episode. So I love it. Let's do it. Let's get after it. <laughs> so our first one, Ron, is capital expenditures. What do people need nope. to know? Don't like them. Let's just not do them. <laughs> no. Done. How lightning did you want this to be, Heather? <laughs> Don't do it. Um, well, I was thinking more along the lines of how to keep a, keep level headed when a capital expenditure oh. comes up that you weren't expecting and how to plan for them. I actually recently had a capital expenditure on my first property I ever bought, a single family. There was a roof that I knew was going to need to be replaced eventually. And the time came and the tenant said a little bit of water was coming in and I said, oh shoot, it's time. So I was watching it pretty carefully though, but you know, I, I waited maybe a little too long. <laughs> so. But well, capital expenditures, I was joking, capital expenditures, you know, they're just, they're part of owning real estate. And uh, as Heather said, I mean, what are they wrong? Think, Tell us. Yeah, it's anything. It's not a repair. So there's a difference between repairs and capital expenditures. Capital expenditures, when you're like replacing a, an HVAC system, or you're replacing a roof, you're putting something that's brand new in there that has a whole new life cycle on it. And they go in a different place, right? Repairs and maintenance expenses go in your P&L. Capital expenditures are an investment. They don't go in your P&L, right? They go in your balance sheet and you get to depreciate them. So, I mean, it's it's not the end of the world when you have to have a capital expenditure and you got to keep your place up, right? So, I mean, Heather can't just let the place leak. 
you could patch it, I guess. But if you know the things at the end of its useful life, it's best to just, you know, do the thing, you know, and just just replace it. Right. The capital expenditures are part of owning real estate. And, you know, banks have a formula for this and, you know, they have a CapEx budget, they call it. Um, and as a property owner, you can do the same thing. You can have a CapEx budget. You can just set aside some of your cash flow for when something like that happens. And you just it's uh, it's an investment into the property. And I, so I think if you just shift your thinking about what it is, it'll help ease the pain of taking your cash flow and putting it into a new roof. Heather. For sure. And with mine, I knew that I'd had some appreciation. And so I knew I'd be able to recover some of that cost when I sold the property, right? So the roof ended up being $4,000. So it was actually pretty inexpensive roof as far as roof costs go and was done in a day. The property manager handled really all of it. I didn't have to do a whole lot with it. And I can now say when I sell the property that it has a brand new roof, right? Versus that it has a roof that's at the end of its useful life, which makes a big difference. It does. Absolutely. So yeah, CapEx is just part of it. Like for multifamily, you know, if you go get a, a Freddie Mac loan, usually they'll, they actually will put that in the budget. And sometimes if you're inexperienced or sometimes if they just feel like it, they'll actually take that money and put it in an escrow account because they know you're going to have to spend it at some point. So they just like take it and put it in an escrow account. Now they, they haven't done that to me, but I know they've done that to other people. So it's, it's kind of like principal interest taxes and insurance where they withhold taxes and insurance. They just withhold another account so that when you have capital expenditures, you can get money from that account, right? So anyway, it's just part of owning real estate. Just, just got to know that it's coming. So what's our next question? So our next question is to understand a little more in depth of when or how you know when it's time to sell. We're getting this question a lot because the market is sell for sure. There's a low supply of properties and a high demand, right? So we're having a lot of clients say, gosh, I've owned this rental property for two or three years. Is it time for me to sell, right? So what we do internally when that happens, I can speak to this point, but you know, for those listening that maybe don't work with a company like ours, I can tell you our process. So we will gather all the numbers, right? The rent and all the expenses. And then we will take that information and generate a current pro forma to know how much cash you're actually making on that property. Then we take that those numbers and we say, okay, what if you sold the property? What if you refinance the property? Okay, kind of running both scenarios. And something to keep in mind about the refinance option is capital expenditures. So if you're going to yep. refinance, is the property aging, right? And also when you refinance, you often can't get as much out of the property as if you sold, right? So something else to keep in mind. So then we once we analyze both those numbers, then we say, okay, what if we sold with a tenant in place? if there's currently a tenant living there, or if we waited for the tenant to move out, right? So all of that analysis is really just about numbers, really is. There's not a whole lot of opinion in it. It's more of what does the math tell me is the best choice. And often right now, the best choice is not selling to an investor. The best choice is selling it with the tenant out. And unless it's multifamily, of course, that's a different animal. But single family, if there is a tenant that is not occupying the property, it's usually time to sell right now. Yep. And, you know, my, my wife and I have been going through this. I think, you know, we've been, we're constantly shopping. We love looking at houses and we love, we both love real estate. So we're constantly looking at houses and, you know, right now is a fantastic time for us to go and grab a bunch of equity. I mean, our house has gone up in value like crazy, but I also have to look at the, uh, can I actually replace it? I mean, is there anything, <laughs> is there anything on the market for me to buy? So, I mean, there, there are some other things that you need to look at other than just numbers because financially it makes all the sense in the world for Bobby Joe and I to sell. 
Yeah. I mean, it just does makes all the sense in the world until we have to go shopping for another house. And then it makes no sense at all because there's literally nothing on the market and you get into yeah. a bidding war with people. It That part of it makes us way more comfortable hanging out where we're at. But with respect to investment properties, you just got to know what the current market will give you as far as a cash on cash return. And if you can do way better with your with your equity that's sitting in your properties than what is currently being returned on all of your equity, well, then that's, that's kind of a no-brainer. I think a couple things that I've noticed people do in analyzing their properties that it would be a mistake is they count their current rent as their cash flow. I've heard that so many times. They'll say, well, what I say, what is the current cash flow? And they'll say $1,500. And I'll say, oh, okay, great. That's, you know, fantastic. And then I'll say, <laughs> so is that like after the mortgage? And they're like, oh no. Like eventually I find out that that's the rent. And in their mindset, that's how much money they're making every month, right? Especially yeah. people that sell self-manage because that's what money comes into their bank account. You know, we've talked about this before, but the business owners do this too. Whatever goes into the bank account is their money. Mm -hmm. Then with no conception of how much is going out and how much of that money really isn't your money uh, or their money, uh, it's it's yeah. really, really important. So operating off of financial statements, that's why we teach people about financial statements. It's really, really important to understand the financial statements. What is your property actually making? and all of the returns because you got to calculate all of that stuff in when you're trying to figure out what is the best way to move forward um and you know people don't even do that in business so it doesn't shock me at all that people don't do that with investment properties um exactly. because you know i sit in masterminds all the time like i'm in right now and people don't know their numbers which is remarkable to me but it shouldn't be because it wasn't very many years ago i didn't know my numbers either and i worked out of the i worked off of my you know checking account yeah. and wondered why things didn't work out so well that's that's why yeah, that's a really good point. I think I've also seen people not understand the equity part when they're dividing their annual cash flow, which is your net of all after all your expenses for that property, divide it by the usable equity that you have. And if you're refinancing, you usually can't do better than 75% of the value of the property is usable equity. So you can't, you have to look at it as a decision between refinancing and selling using those numbers, right? But you have to take that and divide it by, okay, what would I net if I sold this property? So I usually take out some closing costs too, because we all know there's a little bit of cost to sell is, you know, paying yep. real children or what have you. So um, I think sometimes that's that mindset thing comes back to that CapEx uh, capital expenditure conversation is, you know, looking at the condition of the property. Because if you are saying, oh, it's time to sell and people look online and kind of assume, well, my house is four bedroom, three bath, and it'll sell for what this house sold for and looking at conditions. So capital expenditures, it can help you in getting a higher sales price. Yep. So they're and not it's one of the there. things that I'm looking for in multifamily properties too, right? Is um, did they just drain this thing? Yeah. Is it completely, you know, crapped out now because they didn't replace anything the whole time? Mm -hmm. um, because that affects that affects their ability to sell at a higher price. Yeah, that's true. And I think some buyers can make assumptions. If you've run the thing into the ground, does that mean I'm going to find other problems, right? Am I going to mm -hmm. buy this house and find leaks everywhere because they went too long to replace the roof, right? So yep. I think that's also good to know. Okay, our next question. Are you ready for the next one, Ron? I'm ready for the next one. I didn't know if you said everything you wanted to say about that. So what if you have a great tenant? This particular person said they had a, five, a, a tenant paying for five years right? Consistently, they pay on time. They're great. They don't complain a lot, but I have a lot of equity in the property. So, you know, weighing that out between a really good tenant and selling or refinancing to gain that equity back. 
What do you think? Yeah, this is one of those cool personal decisions, kind of like the one I was just describing with my house. You know, there's something to be said for a tenant that pays on time all the time. I mean, there just is. But again, we're talking about finances here, right? And so you go, okay, well, factor in a couple of tenant turns. If if most people don't stay five years, most people stay two years, then run the math with people staying two years. And, you know, how much equity is sitting there? Because man, you know, Heather, we, we talk to people all the time, houses in California. If you've got a great paying tenant and your house is in California and sitting on a half a million dollars, yeah. it kind of doesn't matter. It kind of doesn't matter if they're paying because your return on equity is pathetic. Yeah. What you could be making on that money is so much more that it would, even if you didn't have great tenants, it would still be better. For sure. Um, you know, so you, you have to do the math with the expectation of, of whatever it is you think is going to happen. Right. Because you're you know, they're right. Five year tenants don't happen that often. But two year two year tenants happen all the time. Mm-hmm. So use different averages when you're running your numbers. And what you'll probably find if you're sitting on a pile of equity is that it makes more financial sense to be able to move the money. Yeah. With this particular client in my estimations, I didn't have all the numbers, but I was, you know, going through it initially without knowing all the rent numbers. And I said, man, even if they're killing it in cash flow, they could reposition the equity and have about two thousand a month, right? With just just taking the equity. So just to compared to well, I I didn't have the rent amount, but it based on the per the price of the home, it couldn't be very high. Right. Right. So it's at least doubling down on your on your cash flow. The value of the home is single family is three hundred thousand. So it's not like it could be very high on the net. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, I mean that's what I would it's again to Heather's point earlier, it's just a math problem and you just have to put in the right variables so that you get the right answer you want. Right. I think adding back in the emotion after you run all the numbers, right? Because then you mm-hmm. know you can say, well here's my choices, here's my options. And then you can add back in, well this tenant is done right by me or I don't want to kick the tenant out or you know all those things, you can bring back in the emotion. But man, when I've done these, so I've done, man, it feels like hundreds of these I probably have <laughs> for clients. And where I um, always the numbers with that much equity, I mean, this guy had over 50% equity, it always breaks down to sell or refinance. And where, where most of these have long term tenants, the capital expenditures that are coming up make it worth it to just sell, right? Let someone else have the capital expenditure and, right. and on newer stuff. And the, and the pain in the butt that goes along with it, you know, because, you know, we have a lot of equity in our house, enough equity that would allow us to be able to, you know, pretty much move wherever we wanted to move into whatever house we wanted to move. And it doesn't matter to us because it's not worth the pain in the butt it's going to be for us to, to move right now. So we're just not doing it financially. That makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. But in every other way, it's just not <laughs> worth it to us. I mean, if you doubled that number, now I might, I might take a little more pain in the butt. If you know, yeah. so you that's what Heather's talking about. You just gotta weigh those things out. You know, if I'm sitting on a half a million, maybe, maybe for my personal residence, it's not worth it for me to go, but maybe it would be worth it for someone else. Maybe if it's a million, it's worth it for me to go, you know. I go rent somewhere for a hot minute, you know, somebody wants to give me that much more money for my house. Right. So it's all relative. One of the, one of the biggest, one of the lines today came from uh, Jason Hartman. He just said, compared to what, compared to what kept saying compared to what, well, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good question. So when you're thinking about it, just think about that. You know, he was talking in terms of uh, some other things that had to do with business, but I think it's a pretty decent question to ask 
anytime you're weighing anything out. Yeah, I think um, in weighing out the decision with a really good tenant like this, it feels like if you keep it, you're afraid of having a tenant not paying, right? And then making the decision based on fear of what if, right? Instead of making a decision because the math makes sense and maybe maybe taking a little bit of a leap of faith that you might find another five-year tenant, right? You didn't know when you bought that house that you'd have a five-year tenant, right? When it's equally as plausible that your five-year tenant loses their job and becomes a non-paying tenant. I yeah. mean, you realize that, that that is that is plausible as well. It could happen. Happens to really good people all the time. Yeah. So anyway. yeah, the other thing too, I guess, if you have a five-year tenant and if you have to make the most for your property, you've got to, you know, sell, then you do have to keep in mind, well, what does the interior look like? I've had a tenant there for five years, right? So you also want to keep that in mind. If you're going to have to sell owner occupied to make your most money and sell it without the tenant living there, it, you may have to do a little bit of work to get it ready. Mm-hmm. So, yep. All what else we got? Work. Rising interest rates. We've had mm. several people ask us about that. We just recently covered that. But, you know, in a week, a lot happens <laughs> since since we talked about that. So we've seen some the market drop a little bit as far as interest rates for investment loans specifically, I should clarify. In, in the last week, they've come down just a little bit. The last yeah. one I saw, I think was 3.75, I believe, is the last one I saw. So they are, you know, coming down a little bit. But, it but is, yeah, but. let's just put this into reality again. I know we ju- literally just talked about this like a week or two ago, but uh, interest rates at just over 4%. I mean, everybody is so freaking spoiled right now. It's not even funny. Yeah. That is such a low interest rate, such a low interest rate. And um, I mean, I don't want to belabor the point again. We, we just talked about why that's an, imp- I mean, if you didn't listen to it, just go back and listen to it because, it, you know, we, we talked about how this fixed debt with the, in, with the yeah. looming inflation and the current inflation that we really do have that the government isn't telling us about. It's a good place to be, wh- whether you're at 375 or four and a quarter, either one, right? They're crazy low rates and they're fixed for 30 years, guys. I mean, that's, anyway, I, yeah, until they start cresting like seven, you know, buying. They're pretty low. They're pretty low. <laughs> well, the, just... other thing, the other thing to also keep in mind that I think we didn't talk about in the last episode is that we've seen rents rising, right? Yep. So you have maybe a little bit higher mortgage payment. You know, it's not going to break the bank for sure, even a point, two points, three points, but it your rent increases can more than offset that where we've seen that. I mean, I, I have the property I just mentioned about the roof. I just got an email this morning and they said, hey, your tenant just gave their notice. They're going to move out next month. They pay $900 a month right now. And she said, I'm going to try to market at 950. I was like, bring it. <laughs> right. Like that's fantastic. And if, and my interest rate on that house, I never refinanced is pretty high. I think it's uh 5.75. And when I bought that, I wasn't sad at all. Right. It's pretty high compared oh. to right now, I should say. <laughs> Thousands of properties around yeah. You know, the upper fives and low sixes. And and we were all like, I mean, those were, those rates were incredible rates. Um, the fact right now we have historically low rates. It's not, it's not okay rates. These are historically low, yeah. right? Um, I mean, the money's almost free. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so yeah, not that big of a deal. And like Heather said, it's not, it's not that big of a deal in your payment either. You know, a quarter of a point is just doesn't make that much difference. Yep. And I'm not slowing down. That's for sure. And I know you're not either. So, (laughs) okay. Last question for the episode. Should I sell my investment property myself or hire a real estate agent? Uh, No brainer. 
<laughs> we're both I'm an agent, Ron's a broker, so full disclosure, but full disclosure. That said, I could sell my property um, by myself and I'm a broker. And every time I sell a retail property, I don't do it myself. Why do I not do it myself, Heather? I actually want to hear. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm a broker and I sell investment property. I do not market and sell retail property. I don't even know how to do that. I've only done it once and I did it for a friend of mine and it drove me literally insane. Yeah. Driving them around, looking at properties that perfectly matched what they were looking for, leaving that one and driving to another one. I'm like, dude, this is exactly what you told me you wanted. It, it is in the price range. Why are we not putting an offer in on this house? Well, I wanna see the rest of them. I'm like the rest of all of the houses? You're out of your mind. There are realtors who love that and they're really good at it yeah. and they have the marketing. So our marketing, Heather, doesn't sell retail houses. Mm -hmm. It's not geared to do that. It is geared to sell rental properties. Yeah. That is what it's income producing properties. That's what all of our marketing is structured to do. That's why you guys are listening because somehow we touched you somehow and you're uh, learning. All of this is, is structured around mm -hmm. income properties. We don't ever talk about marketing retail properties because we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> I have a good example of this. I wanted to hear the way you explained it, but I've had, I've helped family and friends too. And I usually offer all the disclaimers. Like, are you sure you want to work with me? Cause like, I, this is not what I do. And a good example is my primary residence that I live in still to this day, my first, it was our first home we ever purchased. And I told, I remember I sat telling my sister-in-law how annoying it was that my home faced North in Utah, big problem. And mm -hmm. the ice that get, accumulates on my driveway, I can literally do nothing about besides shovel and shovel and shovel. And my sister-in-law looked at me and she said, you're a real estate agent. How did you not know that? And I said, <laughs> there's a big difference. I could care less if my rental property faces north. Now I know for my primary residence. So like a real estate agent would have told me that. Like, well, you yep. do north. So that may be an issue. Yep. Had no idea. And I didn't hire an agent. I did it myself. Yeah. So there are a lot of people who think that you shouldn't pay realtors and that they're overpaid. And I would agree that 80 to 90% of real estate agents and brokers are overpaid and they are worthless and they don't know what they're doing. But that top 10 to 20%, they do know what they're doing and they're worth their weight in gold. Every house I've sold, I've sold with a, with a really, really top-notch retail real estate agent that knows how to sell, not how to stick a sign in the yard, but actually knows how to get out and hustle and knows how to, you know, they know how to deal. If you've ever bought or sold a house, you know, part of it is dealing, right? You, you, you're agreeing on a price, but then you're doing an inspection and you're, you're the whole time you're dealing and you need someone who can be your advocate in all of those. And you need somebody who understands the local market really, really well. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll give you another example. I have a friend in Charleston um, who had a realtor and he was so irritated at him because when it came down to dealing, they were constantly losing houses in a very competitive market, right? And you don't want to be losing deals when you're willing to pay more. Yeah. And this realtor just didn't understand how to negotiate, didn't, didn't uh, understand at all how to do it. And they constantly kept missing deals. I said, man, you need to fire them. Hire my buddy. He's really, really good. Within a week, they had an offer accepted on a house and they're going to close on it this week. I think this week, this week or next week. And the only thing that changed was the person knew exactly what they were doing. They knew the market and they knew the market so well that other realtors, they could go to them and hustle and find deals that were coming on the market that aren't on the MLS yet so they can get a head start. 
those kind of realtors are worth paying. Now, the other ones, I mean, you could go stick a sign in your yard yourself. You're right about that, but you get what you pay for. And in my book, I, I not only bought, but I sold every personal residence I've bought and sold through really professional real estate brokers in, and agents. And I'll also tell you this, I could have also asked for money, which so many real estate agents and brokers do. We get asked that too, a yeah, lot. You know, people just, I have a license, so pay me. Yes. What? What? Yes. What? what? I don't understand. I could have done the same thing. I don't, I never do that because I didn't do any work. I don't deserve any money because I have a license. They deserve all the money. And the reason is because they're going to get me a better deal or they're going to get me more money on my sale. That's why they deserve the money. Pro tip, for everybody out there looking for multifamily deals or any kind of deals like that. Just talking to a broker the other day and I said, hey, I'm, I'm a broker as well, looking for this. And he goes, uh, okay, cool. So you're gonna represent yourself. And what I said, I'm fine with you representing me and I'm fine with you representing the seller. Either way, I'm not taking your commission. You keep all of it. So if it's your deal and you bring me an off-market deal, yeah. you keep all the commission. I don't want any of it. I want the deal. Yeah. So go hustle, find a deal, bring it to me. You get all the money. I don't want any of the money. I, I want the deal. And, you know, I think Heather, we've had this, we've had this philosophy for a long time. Speaking of brokers, we also, we, we almost never, matter of fact, I can only think of one time in, in since 2005 that I've actually done a, a listing agree, like a, like a, a lock you down listing agreement, right? The one that yeah. says you have to pay me even if, yeah, actually I've never done one of those. I've never done one. Either. Never done one of those because I either perform or I don't, I either bring a buyer or I don't. And if I don't, then you don't have to pay me. Yeah, I guess I should say I have done that, but it's because my broker, because I have several licenses in different states. So my broker where I hang my license in Utah requires one. So after the fact, I had, I said, oh yeah, I need you to, <laughs> I need you to sign this agreement. But I just put the address of the house that they bought, right? So I'm like, here's the yeah, house. But it's one, it's, you didn't, you didn't go in there and say, yeah. hey, I'm going to list your property yeah, and you sure. have to pay me up to six months afterwards yes. or, you know, whatever, just because yeah. I put a sign in the yard, those realtors. And as a matter of fact, if any realtor does that, they're, in my opinion, they're not worth it. Yeah. They're not worth it. Right. Yep. Cause they either can or they so, can't, they can either perform no, or they, they can't. Yep. I agree. Yep. Another uh, tip there too, is I feel like the for sale by owner, um, that just that whole category gets targeted by people who are looking for a deal. They mm -hmm. love for sale by owner because they're like, oh, I'll get a better price because they're not paying a real estate agent. Or, and in my opinion, they don't know exactly what their house could be worth because they're not hiring a real estate agent. So my brother just listed his house for sale by owner for about two full weeks in a market where houses were flying and he waited and waited. And then they said, okay, we should hire an agent. And they got a full price offer and they had it in less than 24 hours where they'd been getting low balls for two weeks. Yep. So there is something to be said about knowing and understanding your numbers, having someone represent you who gets it. All that analysis, we do for clients on their properties, that's because we have experience in it, right? We understand how to run the math, how to run the numbers. And so understanding, hey, is my house going to sell more if it's vacant? Can I get 10%, which is what I've been seeing, 10% more in sales price if it's vacant? Mm -hmm. I mean, that is worth its weight in gold. You know, not to belabor the point, but you know, the, the market is really hot right now and people are selling. So, you know, pay attention guys. I mean, it, the other thing too, is understanding your price point because it matters. 
how your house looks in your price point. If your house is if your house is empty and it's a high priced house, it's probably worth staging and it's probably worth paying a professional to stage it. Yeah, true. You know, there's just things like that that realtors are going to know. They're going to walk into your house and they're going to go, "Listen, I can probably get $50,000 more out of your house if you get rid of a bunch of crap in here." And I'll yeah. tell you specifically what it is. You know, for instance, I had my last house I sold, I had professional photography. I had a professional stager that came in and they came in separate from the agent. The agent had them on their team and they came in and they said, look, they walked through every room in the house. You got to get rid of that painting. You got to get rid of this. You got to get rid of this and you have to reorganize. You have to declutter. Everything has to come off this counter. It needs to go somewhere else. You know, by the time they were done, we had this massive list of things we had to do, but that is what made our house sell two days before it went on the MLS for full plot price, all cash, just like that. Without all of that, we probably would have been on the market for a long, long time. And we probably, like you said, we probably would have had low ball offers. It's about making the best first impression that you can make. And that comes from having an experienced realtor who has on their team other people that you need. Now, maybe you don't need that in the $100,000, $150,000 price range. But if you're selling, you know, depending on the market, of course, if you're in the Midwest and you're selling or out West, not in California, you're selling a three quarters of a million dollar house or $1.5 million house. You need somebody to help you figure out how to make that thing show right. Because the difference could be $100,000. It could be really, really big money. So, and even in the smaller price points, you still need to understand what needs to be repaired, how the property needs to look in comparison to all the other properties on the market. And how in the world are you going to know that by yourself? I'm in the business all the time. It's my full-time gig. And I don't know that stuff. Yeah, that's very true. As you say, it's jumping over dollar bills to pick up nickels, right? Yep. Trying to save some money, but yeah. So if you're out there getting ready to sell your house, that was a very long-winded way to say hire a really, really solid realtor yep. and all the reasons why you should, right? So, And if you want a um, recommendation or a referral, please reach out to us because we do that all oh, the time to get that mm-hmm. top 10, 20%. If you need one and you say, hey, I'm selling. And a lot of these places we don't even sell work in, right? We have relationships. Ron goes to all these masterminds, networks with other people in the same business who, are, who do really well. And it's real easy. Oh man, we've been able to find referrals in all sorts of different places. So if you need a referral, reach out to us at invest at rpcinvest.com. We'll help you out. Yeah. And if you have topics for our podcast, since we're coming up to that point in the show, please send them in. We love to hear from you guys and what you want to hear. We, we, I know we say it all the time, but we, this is for you. We do this for you. We love doing it, but we want to tell, we want to talk about what, what you want to hear. Yeah. And so send in your ideas. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll do another lightning round if we have the short ones. So send send them in. Send them in. And listen, you guys, you know, if you listen to the last episode or the one before that, I can't even remember now, um, and you want to invest in real estate and you don't know how to do it, you know, we have trainings. They're free. You guys can reach out, invest at rpcinvest.com. We're happy to help you however you need help. Yep. And until next time, get out there and make something happen. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to GetRealEstateSuccess.com.